But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. How can we be salt and light if we never speak up concerning circumstances and morality in our nation? But isn't it interesting? You can look at political climates. You can talk to different people. Isn't it interesting how no matter who you talk to, everybody always says, well, God would be on our side. Whenever I read that, I'm always reminded of this passage of Scripture. Joshua 5, 13 through 14. And I was thinking about this. This is the passage that's been on my mind for weeks. Says this when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to, his, to the ground in reverence, and he said, I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? Now think about this. Joshua, this took place. Joshua was getting ready to go take on Jericho. He was getting ready to lead his people to fight a battle that God had told them to go fight. And he's standing there, and he comes across the angel. Can you imagine? I, man, what I, the way I picture this, he was probably, I mean, know that the night before battle, you're probably not getting much sleep, right? And, and, you're, and you're wandering around, and you're, and you're, so I picture him kind of outpacing by himself a little bit, trying to get a handle on things. He's a little restless, can't really sleep, and he comes across this angel, and he asks the question, are you friend or foe? Whose side are you on? When he's getting ready to go fight a battle that God told him to fight, and the angel looks at him and says, neither. I don't know about you, I'd be saying, Neither. What in the world am I going to do what you told me to do? Neither. But what he was saying was, God isn't on either side. God is on his side. See, what we need to understand is that there are angelic spiritual forces that are on God's side. There are demonic forces in this world that are not on God's side, and we're caught in the middle. And we need to understand that. I look at it this way. Abraham Lincoln has one of the best quotes concerning this that I've ever, ever heard. He was asked during the Civil War, Basically, are we sure that we're on the right side? Whose side is God on here? And this was Abraham Lincoln's quote. Sir, my concern is not whether or not God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side. For God is always right. See, God himself established 
that you were born into a nation where your voice helps determine the direction of that nation. What a wonderful concept. Our nation was designed where we're supposed to have a peaceful transition of power and that we are ruled by we the people. And we, but with that becomes a responsibility. All throughout Scripture, God has given nations the kinds of leaders they deserve. Let that sink in for a moment. So what kind of leadership do we deserve as a nation if the righteous people in the nation remain silent? Make no mistake, the decision to choose our leaders is a spiritual choice. And it has consequences way beyond any form of social experimentation. We must be salt and light in our society. And salt and light are both influencers. Salt and light do not leave the environment around them the way they found it. Salt is a preservative that preserves something. Salt is a flavor enhancer. You ever taken a bite of something that was just bland, and what's the first thing you do? You reach for the salt shaker. Light pushes back against darkness. You ever notice light isn't passive? Light pushes back darkness. Darkness exists where there is absence of light. So choosing spiritual size is important. Here's something I want us to look at that maybe you haven't thought of. Do you know there's a point in Israel's history that they decided they wanted separation of church and state? They literally said, give us a king so we can be like the nations around us. They wanted to be like everything around them when God specifically said, do not let them influence you. 1 Samuel 8, 6 and 7, but the king, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Did you know that God's will for the land of Israel was to be a theocracy? He was to be their king and their ruler. And guess what? There is a day coming when he will come and he will set up his kingdom on this earth. And he will be the ruler. But guess what? He warned the Israelites against, they were warned again and again, don't go this way. Don't follow the pattern of all the nations around you. Don't do that. And yet here we are, we find ourselves in this nation, the freest nation that has ever been on this planet. I'm not saying it's perfect. It never has been perfect. It never will be perfect. But we have freedoms and we have choices. And there are always things that need to be worked on. 
But thank God that we are in a nation that not only is the freest, this nation has done more to spread the gospel around the globe than any other nation on the planet. But yet now we find ourselves looking around and saying we want to be like every other nation. Yet there's warning signs in Scripture all over the place. Cool thing is, we've got, a, we've got a system where we the people can dictate political change and legal change. So why is there this rush to become like every other nation all around us when it has clearly backfired, not only in Israel, but every other place it's been tried? Why are those that stand for the founding principles of this nation so under attack? This morning, I want to look at the underlying thing. I want to get past the personalities. I want to look at it's all based on differing world views. The battle that is going on is between differing world views. We are at war for the heart of a nation, and it literally is the biblical worldview versus the secular worldview. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. See, it's God's side or the world's side. And it's not hard to discern it all if you break it down. Now, this morning, I am not in any way going to tell you who to vote for. That is not my agenda. My agenda is for us to find and to be on God's side, period. My goal is to give you the tools to help you clearly see the root worldview behind what's being said publicly. And I'm not just talking, let me say this. We get so caught up in the presidential election, don't we? And that's important. But we tend to forget about all the other positions. We should hold up the biblical God's standard all the way down from the president to the school board. Society wins when we use biblical standards. See, our commandment is to speak out about biblical worldviews. Our commandment is to be salt and light. Our number one main purpose is to win the lost. Jesus came and died to save that which was lost. Far too many people actually end up, and this is sad to me, when I see people that are voting for something because they think it's going to make their life a little easier or a little more comfortable or or fit some little pet thing that they have and they bypass all the ways that perhaps the person's overall platform is anti-gospel. Romans 12.2 says this, And do not be conformed to this world, But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This morning, I want to spend some time walking through some of the issues and look at the whole thing. Look at at it through the lens of of the Word of God. How many know that this is the original Constitution? This is the standard. 
And to me, there are four, you know, like I said, I'm not here to endorse any candidate or any party, but there are four basic spiritual matters on which I feel we better put first and foremost in our minds before we cast any ballot. Number one, their value and definition of life. We better see where they stand in those areas. Their position on marriage and the family. What kind of nations do they ally ally themselves with? And who or what they consider to be the ultimate authority? Now, because we don't speak out on these matters, we will soon lose the right to do so. In many other countries, here's my concern. In many other countries, pastors and Christians that boldly speak out about biblical values are literally putting their life in danger when they do. And I told, as I said, I kind of wrestled with this a little bit. But let me tell you this. I don't want to stand by one of those that put their, when it's all over with, that put their life on the line for the gospel and spoke the truth even under threat of their life. I don't want to stand by them and say, well, I might offend somebody if I say. I've promised God multiple times that from now on, not that I ever have it, Let me preface that, but that I'm going to speak what he gives me regardless of who likes it or doesn't like it. So let's make it a little clearer how each of these views actually see the world. Because then once you see the underlying motivation of why their policies are like they are, it clears up the picture. Number one, if you have a biblical worldview, you believe that God created heaven and earth. And therefore, since he made it all, he absolutely has the right to set the rules and they're non-negotiable. There's nothing fluid about it. It doesn't change with time. Number two, as a biblical worldview, we believe that people are responsible for their own decisions and the consequences of those choices. We also believe that God is the final authority. And what century we live in or what cultural pressure rises and falls does not matter. His standard is still the same. We as believers are to reflect this worldview in all of our choices. And when we live them out and when we speak them out, they may choose to accept them or reject them, but at least we pointed them towards the truth. including how we vote. Scripture warns us of times that will be dominated by a non-biblical worldview. It is all through, you read Revelation, read every prophecy about the future. We see what this world becomes. And I'll tell you, what is alarming to me is how closely I see what the direction that many people are wanting to go to what the Bible tells us this world will be like in the end times. And if that doesn't raise some some alarm bells, it should. I plan on speaking the truth to the end because I love and I care for other individuals. 
I know that today if you somehow dare to call somebody else's opinion wrong, that all of a sudden you're hating. But if you know and you're convinced in your heart and you love and you care for that person and you see them heading in a wrong, dangerous direction, is it loving to pat them on the back and say, keep going, everything's okay? Or is it loving to get in the way and do your very best to say you are headed in a wrong direction? You are headed for eternal disaster? And I love you enough to speak truth whether you get mad at me or not. See, today there's a major political philosophy that is that are that has almost grown to epidemic proportions in our nation over this last decade and i refer to it as the secular worldview so i just told you about the biblical worldview now let's look at the secular worldview number one why do they hate us so much i'm often it's always interesting to me that i can try to have a conversation with somebody many times that has the opposite view and i'm just wanting to dialogue i want to see and get the picture of why and how do you believe what you believe i just want to sit down and talk it out i mean make your point let me make my counterpoint let's have a civil discussion when it's on with let's still hug each other and love each other and go on with life but why so many times is there this this venom this hate that rises up Well, here's a few reasons. It's the opposite. They believe that God is not the creator, and therefore there are no permanent rules. And because of this belief, man is the only judge, and there are no absolutes. And when you believe that, government becomes the most important provider of morality and direction. And many times... In their eyes, everyone is free to do what is right in their own eyes. Matter of fact, the only true wrong is to dare to judge someone else as being wrong. Unless you dare to hold up a moral standard and then you're judged as wrong. Fairness, as they define it, is what is the rule of the day. So think about that. Because of that... Abortion is acceptable. Because after all, life's only an accident anyway, right? Redefining sexuality is completely acceptable. Perversions are actually applauded. Religion itself is defined as the root of all evil. So speaking to and paying homage to or acknowledging wrong is evil because wrong does not exist. Admitting God's existence, literally, here's one of the reasons I think they can't stand it, is admitting that God exists would mean that God may have some actual standards that would have to be lived by, and since they want to do their own thing. So those who believe that God, and believe in God, and believe in his rules are considered radical, intolerant, because they hold to an outdated biblical standard. See, they believe in restricting the right of Christians to speak while at the same time claiming the First Amendment is so broad in its protection that all sorts of truly offensive material can't be restricted. Yet prayer to a holy God is to be removed from all public discourse. And God we trust is offensive for daring to declare that there is a higher authority and a higher moral standard. And looking at the stated platform of a secularist 
point by point, you will see evidence of this all through their policies. Even if those proposed policies seem to benefit us as individuals, we need to draw the line at morality and being on God's side. I believe with everything Abraham Lincoln said, we, it's not matter whose side God's on, we need to be on God's side. We need to open our eyes. This worldview, right now, they're in a full court press, and any opposition is villainized. So let's look at, I want to look for the next few moments at, at three to four of the main keys. The value and the definition of life. I don't know about you, but I believe that life is much more than some cosmic accident. How often we hear, well, you're here today because billions and billions and billions of years ago. No, you're not an accident. But if you believe life is an, ac- is an accident, then life is cheap. And the candidates that that follow that, to me, their position on life is so huge. Because it might matter more than you may think. You may think, well, that's just that one little thing. I can overlook that one little thing. Well, if they put that little value on life, who's to say down the line they're going to value your life? If it meets an agenda. But we're not an accident. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says, For you were formed, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's room. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, yet being, being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. See, the Bible clearly teaches us that God is the author of life. And God has plans before our, for our life before we are born. And somehow we think that we have the right to erase those days before they even start. Better be careful. See, the destruction of life, I mean, it's so sad because to me, the destruction of life is so often sacrificed on the altar of convenience. This isn't convenient right for me right now. So I will end this life that God's already charted out the possibility of their days. See, the Bible teaches that human beings are made in God's image. The Bible teaches that a child in the womb can have a relationship with God. John the Baptist, Scripture tells us, was filled with the Holy Spirit before he was born. His unborn fetus jumped for joy when he was in the presence of Jesus that was still in his mother's womb. That's scriptural. Legal time frame for abortion, we see again and again, is pushed further and further back in, in the pregnancy and, and, and more and more. They want more time and, and all this stuff, and we better be careful. 
Because if we keep going, where does it stop? Right now, there's over one million innocent lives destroyed each year. God is a God of justice. So don't think that if we sit on the sidelines, this nation won't be judged. And make no mistake, if it continues, who's next? The elderly? Those with deformities? Where does it stop? I know about you, I don't want a panel deciding what medical care I can get and I can't get as I get older. Scripture clearly teaches us that to love life and to care for those in need. Then the second thing that really concerns me, that to me that's high on my list, is, is family, marriage, and gender. See, those things are defined by the Creator. One of the things that makes this and any nation strong is do they, the, the more they spread the gospel, the better they are is based upon the strength of the family. Kids, we, we see when there's a solid home and it's set up as God intended it to be with a father and mother that are, that are seeking and serving God together and they're raising their children rightly. The, the society is strong, is strengthened. The moral foundation is in place. And yet what do we see more and more? We see kids... Legislation pushing for kids to be raised more and more and more by the government. More and more, we see people pushing to have this stuff in the curriculum and that stuff in the curriculum and going against the very things that parents would like to have taught to their kids. It ought to scare us. But if you watch... If you watch the other worldview, anytime something is proposed that would give parents the choice to have vouchers and use the money set aside for education for them to decide what school and how the kids are taught, it is fought again and again because then the government loses the influence to program the kids the way they want them taught. These kind of things, make no mistake, These kind of things are the kind of things that have been done by every single totalitarian government that has been put on this planet. The government begins to dictate what we can teach our kids. What happened to celebrating a husband and wife who love each other and actually raise their own kids in the ways of the Lord? Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife, and they shall be one flesh. 1 Corinthians 7, 2-3, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and each woman her own husband, and let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise the life wife to her husband. Marriage was created and ordained by God, and therefore he gets to define it. Say otherwise is nothing but defiance to the Lord. We hear about the end times. Romans 1, 24, 25. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity and for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie 
and worship the served, worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Go on and read that and it gets into more specifics. There's a long passage there. If, if, you, if you're interested in what the scripture says in that area, read Romans chapter 1. But what do we end up? We end up with this idea of redefining genders. I heard on the radio the other day that there's one of the states that all that's most all of the most all of the track and field records for the women's side of sports is now owned by biological males who identify as being female. That's crazy. Genesis 5.2 says he created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. All right. What does the word of God say? Two genders, male, female. Now, I'm not talking choices that are made by people's decisions. I'm not talking about the way people tend to lean one way or the other, whatever. What I'm talking about is this, we've reached this time that we're told that there's more genders than we can count. And I don't know if you've heard this, but there are groups now of pedophiles that want to be classified as a gender. See, once you start crossing these lines, where does it stop? Where does it stop? In certain states, parents are no longer allowed to get counseling for their kids if their kids are having some kind of identity issue and the kid, we're talking about underage kids, not adults that can make their own decisions, underage kids that if the parents want to go see if there's some trauma that has caused them to begin to think this way, it is outlawed. The only thing they can legally do is go to get counseling on how to make the transition. I don't know about you, but the state should not have the right to tell us what to do with our underage children. Now, if they're being actually abused, that's one thing. But to dictate what kind of care we can give our child. And I know the subject of women's rights always comes up. And the biblical worldview is all for women's rights and fair treatment. There is nothing in there, anybody that says anything any different. They're taking scripture out of context and taking it too far in directions it was never intended. And if you want to have a conversation with me about that, I'll be glad to show you. Yes, there are extreme examples. There are people that get goofy in those areas. However, the secular worldview does not exactly have a clean track record when it comes to women's rights. Isn't it interesting that Christians are beat upon in this area, and yet there are religions that we're told that we need to keep our hands off of that actually have the worst track records with women's rights on the planet, and they're told that they need to be left alone. 
We can go down the list on, on race and, and all those things. But isn't it interesting that the side that is supposed to be so tolerant in this, in this secular worldview that how if it doesn't matter what gender you are or what color you are, if you have the biblical worldview, all of a sudden the gloves are off. Once again, a candidate's worldview on this matter tells you everything you need to know about them as far as I'm concerned. Matthew 7, 19 through 20. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. When we see a candidate, whatever position, sometimes we live in a day and a time where they're not going to be perfect. And sometimes you got to look at goofy pers- past goofy personalities. Sometimes you got to look past certain things. But to me, the standard is all I can do is hold up and say, okay, I have chosen to be on God's side. And if I'm going to be on God's side, the things that he cares about are the things that I'm going to look at. And whichever one comes down more on the biblical side as opposed to the secular worldview side, then that's where I'm going. What about the world allegiances? This one's easy for me. They better be a supporter of Israel. Psalms 122.6 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. So if the scripture tells us that if we pray for the peace of Jerusalem and we support Jerusalem and we support Israel, that that there's a, a prosperity, there's a blessing that comes in that, how dare we be on the other side? It tells me all I need to know about any candidate. If they see Israel as the villain of the region, then that tells me that's a big no right off the bat. This should be dear to every believer. And isn't it interesting? Don't tell me it's not spiritual because look at this. Israel has a population of somewhere a little over 7.5 million people. Literally smaller than New York City. They occupy one-sixth of the land of the Middle East. Israel is surrounded by all kinds of nations that really don't like them. Literally 640 times her size, 60 times the population, and they're the ones that's supposed to constantly give up land? And we're told they're the problem? How can a Christian even think about casting a balance for someone who keeps Israel at arm's length and yet plays up to their enemies? There are brothers of the faith. All the stuff that we read about in Scripture that happened, happened in that land. Oh, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel and look at the promised land, you need to go. I mean, it makes Scripture come to life. You know, the God we claim to serve said they are his chosen people. How can we choose another side? There is so much we can learn from them before I bring this to a close. I'll put a slide up on the screen that shows the cycle of Israel. If you look at this, How many know that 
read through Israel, I guess over a period literally of about 300 years, Israel went through this cycle 15 times. Let that sink in. God would do something miraculous to deliver them and and they would fight and he would be with them miraculously and they'd overcome their enemy and they're delivered and they're at peace and they have this time of prosperity and then they get comfortable and they forget God and the next thing you know, they're back being punished by the Lord. The Lord raises up an enemy and they end up back in slavery again and oppression again. And they would... Wake up, come to their senses, pray, and the cycle literally repeated 15 times over a 300-year period. Wouldn't you think somebody get the picture? I'm going to put another slide up here. We can get the second slide, please. This is a diagram of free societies all throughout the history of the world. I want you to notice something very, very similar. Faith arose. People got a courage to overthrow oppressors, to live in liberty, which led to abundance, which over time led to selfishness, then complacency, then apathy, and all of a sudden somewhere along there, this has happened again and again and again, People realize that, hey, we're free and we have the power to vote for the government to take care of us. And they do that and they become dependent upon the government, which leads right back into bondage. It has happened again and again and again. And guess what? I hate to say we're over on the left side of the wheel. And there's a push. Make no mistake. It will, if left unchecked, lead to some things we don't want to experience. My point is this. We have to be the ones that holds up the biblical standard, even though it's not comfortable, and say, Guys, we're getting too far away from the standards here. We need to come back over. Now, I'm not saying that we don't point out injustices that we see around us and speak up because any government that is a human government is not going to be perfect. There are always things that need to be worked on. But what bothers me is this rush to scrap everything that scripture declares to be true and we call it progress. We want to make ourselves like other nations around us when I believe that this nation was founded to be different and to be led by God. And we need to follow those things. See, we all, we get so caught up in the presidential election, but there's so much more at stake. We literally, to me, we ought to take this filter and run it through every single candidate. And if we see that the root cause is chasing a secular position, because you know what? 
if that happens, there will be a day that it will be dictated as to what I can and cannot say here. It's, it's like that in places all over the world. This nation was founded on free speech. And I thank God. I celebrate somebody's opportunity and somebody's ability to, to speak something that goes against what I believe. Because I believe that our faith and our position can stand up to scrutiny. And we need to walk in that. We need to make no mistake, this is a spiritual battle. It's a battle for the nation. It's a battle for the world. And it's our responsibility to combat secularism in every area that God clearly communicates his position. Going back to what I said at first, Abraham Lincoln, sir, my concern is not whether or not God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side for God is always right. The great news is we're not chasing something that can't be defined. He clearly lined it out all out in his word. It's clear. And you know what? It's interesting to me how many people I run across. I'm going to say this, then we're going to pray. How many people I run across that want to pull out the parts of Scripture and quote the ones that they agree with, but the ones that speak against their political, secular position, they ignore. Scripture is clear. Scripture is scripture, and just because you don't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. And this is what people and nations are judged by. And we better line up. I don't know about you. I'm very concerned for this nation. We know that this week, votes are going to take place. A lot of people have already voted. I've already voted. But I heard something interesting this week. 76% of those that have been polled believe there will be violence following the election. Our whole system was put in place so that that wouldn't happen. We better be praying for this nation. Because what I talked about last week, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will heal their land. As I said last week, He wasn't speaking to everybody. He was speaking to his people. It is our responsibility. We were given the prescription on how to heal the land. We better 
be about doing those things. Let's pray. Please join with me and let's just pray for this nation. Father, we come before you today. Lord, I know that today's message was not the most comfortable. I know that, Lord, you, you know our hearts. Lord, I don't, I'd rather speak about your goodness. I'd rather speak about your grace and your mercy and your love and your miraculous power and who you are. But Lord, we find ourselves at a crossroad, and it's so real. And Lord, I, for many of us, I know we so clearly see the agenda behind what is said, behind the slogans, behind the talking points, and the direction that people are wanting to take things that are so contrary to your word. And Lord, for some of us, it grieves us. And we care for this nation. And we love this nation and we love people regardless of walks of life. Lord, we don't wish any evil upon anybody. But Lord, when we love someone and we see the danger of what they're holding on to, Lord, it is our desire to sound the alarm. It is our purpose to be salt. It is our purpose to be light. It is our purpose to make sure that we are on your side. So Lord, I pray that you would heal this land. I pray that you would change circumstances and speak to people's hearts. And Lord, that your would will, will prevail. And though we ask you to be with us, let us continue to lift up this nation before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I love you. I hope everybody still loves me after all that. But you guys have a great day, and we'll see some of you on Wednesday night. God bless.